Summer, Part One, from the Flowers of Shakespeare. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Chad Horner from Liverpool. The Flowers of Shakespeare by Esther Singleton. Sweet Summer Buds, Part One. Morning roses newly washed with dew. The rose, Rosa. Shakespeare speaks of the rose more frequently than any other flower. Sixty references to the rose are scattered through his works. Sometimes he talks of the rose itself, and sometimes he uses the word to make a striking comparison or analogy. With magical touch, he gives us the bold picture of a red rose on triumphant briar. Then he brings before us a delicious whiff of the perfumed tincture of the roses, or the luscious fragrance of morning roses newly washed with dew with equal delicacy of perception he tells us so sweet a kiss the golden sun gives not to those fresh morning drops upon the rose shakespeare's special roses are the red the white the musk the eglantine the sweetbriar the provincial or province the damask the canker and the variegated the red rose rose anglica rubra the english red is thus described by parkinson the red rose which i call english because this rose is more frequent and used in england than in other places never groweth so high as the damask rosebush but more usually abideth low and shitteth forth many branches from the red bush and is but seldom suffered to grow up as the damask rose into standards with a green bark thinner set with prickles and longer and greener leaves on the upper side than in the white yet with an eye of white upon them five likewise most usually set upon a stalk and greyish or whitish underneath the roses or flowers do very much vary according to their sight and abiding for some are of an orient red or deep crimson colour and very double although never so double as the white which when it is full-blown hath the largest leaves of any other rose some of them again are paler tending somewhat to a damask and some are so pale a red as that it is rather of the colour of a canker rose yet all for the most part with larger leaves than the damask and with many more yellow threads in the middle the scent hereof is much better than in the white but not comparable to the excellency of the damask rose yet this rose being well dried and well kept will hold both colour and scent longer than the damask the white rose rosa andica alba the white rose is of two kinds says parkinson the one more thick and double than the other the one riseth up in some shadowy places unto eight or ten foot high with a stalk of great bigness for a rose the other growing seldom higher than a damask rose both these roses have somewhat smaller and whiter green leaves than in many other roses five most usually set on a stalk and more white underneath as also a whiter green bark armed with sharp thorns or prickles the flowers in the one are whitish with an eye or few of a blush especially towards the ground or bottom the flower very thick double and close set together and for the most part not opening itself so largely and fully as either the red or damask rose the other more white less thick and double and opening itself more and some so little double as but of two or three rows that they might be held to a single yet all of little or no smell at all from this rosa alba 
Pliny says, the Isle of Abion derived its name, a happy thought, when we remember that the rose is still the national emblem of England. Musk rose, Rosa Muschata, musk roses and eglantine mingled with honeysuckle formed the canopy beneath which Titania slumbered on a bank made soft and lovely with wild thyme oxlips and nodding violets, and in the coronet of fresh and fragrant flowers that the dainty little fairy queen placed upon the hairy temples of bottom the weaver musk roses were conspicuous and the sweetness of these was intensified by the round and orient pearls of dew that swelled upon the petals as the pretty flowerets bewailed their own disgrace it is this delicious rose which keats when listening to the nightingale sensed rather than visualized in the twilight dimness the coming musk rose full of dewy wine the murmurous hunt of flies on summer eves the musk rose was adorned by the elizabethans lord bacon considered it sent to come next to that of the violet before all other flowers you remember the great bush at the corner of the south wall just by the blue drawing-room window writes mrs gaskell in my lady ludlow that is the old musk rose shakespeare's musk rose which is dying out through the kingdom now the scent is unlike the scent of any other rose or of any other flower the musk rose is a native of north africa spain and india nepal Haklut, in 1582 gave the date of its introduction into england the turkey cocks and hens he says were brought in about fifty years past the artichoke in the time of henry the eighth and of later times was procured out of italy the musk rose plant and the plum called perdiguena turning now to parkinson and opening his big volume at the page rosa muschata simple and multiplex we read musk rose both single and double rises up oftentimes to a very great height that it overgroweth any arbour in a garden or being set by a house side to be ten or twelve foot high or more but especially the single kind with many green far-spread branches armed with a few sharp great thorns as the wilder sorts of roses are whereof these are accounted to be kinds having small dark green leaves on them not much bigger than the leaves of eglantines the flowers come forth at the tops of the branches many together as it were in an umble or tuft which for the most part do flower all at a time or not long one after another every one standing on a pretty long stalk and are of a pale whitish or cream colour both the single and the double the single being small flowers consisting of five leaves with many yellow threads in the middle and the double bearing more double flowers as if they were once or twice more double than the single with yellow thrums also in the middle both of them of a very sweet and pleasing smell resembling musk some there be that have avouched that the chief scent of these roses consisteth not in the leaves but in the threads of the flowers the colour of the musk rose is white slightly tinged with pink eglantine also sweetbriar roser eglantaria this is a conspicuous adornment of titania's bower and is as remarkable for its beauty as for its scent the pink flowers with their golden threads in the centre are familiar to every one the sweet briar or eglantine parkinson writes is not only planted in gardens for the sweetness of its leaves but growing wild in many woods and hedges hath exceeding long green shoots armed with the cruelest sharp and strong thorns and thicker set than is in any rose 
either wild or tame the leaves are smaller than in most of those that are nourished up in gardens seven or nine most usually set together on a rib or stalk very green and sweeter in smell about the leaves of any other kind of rose the flowers are small single blush roses provincial or provence centifolia this old-fashioned cabbage rose of globular flowers mass of foliage hard knob of leaves in the centre and sweet perfume is affectionately known as the hundred leaf parkinson gives two varieties the incarnate or flesh colour and the red in our country the light pink or incarnate is the more familiar what associations does it not conjure up to many of us dean holds words make a touching appeal the blushing fresh fragrant province it was to many of us the rose of our childhood and its delicious perfume passes through the outer sense into our hearts gladdening them with bright and happy dreams saddening them with love and child awakenings it brings more to us than the fairness and sweet smell of a rose we passed in our play to gaze on it with the touch of a vanished hand in ours with a father's blessing on our heads and a mother's prayer that we might never lose our love of the beautiful happy they who return or regain that love the damask rose rosa damascena is a native of syria whence it was brought to europe about twelve seventy by thibault the fourth comte de bray returning from the holy land we know exactly when it was introduced into england because hacklet writing in fifteen eighty two says in time of memory many things have been brought in that were not here before as the damask rose by dr lineker king henry the seventh and king henry the eighth's physician gloves as sweet as damask roses autolycus carries in his peddler's pack for lads to give their dears along with masks for their faces perfume necklace amber pins queefs and lawn as white as driven snow parkinson informs us the damask rosebush is more usually nourished up to a competent height to stand alone which we call standards than any other rose the bark both of the stalk and branches is not fully so green as the red or white rose the leaves are green with an eye of white upon them the flowers are of a fine deep blush colour as all known with some pale yellow threads in the middle and are not so thick and double as the white not being blown with so large and great leaves as the red but of the most excellent sweet pleasant scent far surpassing all other roses of flowers being neither heady nor too strong nor stuffing or unpleasant sweet as many other flowers the rose is of exceeding great use with us for the damask rose besides the super excellent sweet water it yieldeth being distilled or the perfume of its leaves being dried serving to fill sweet bags serveth to cause solubleness of the body made into a syrup or preserved with sugar moist and candid the name is obviously from damascus canker rosa canina this is the wild dog rose common to many countries the name dog rose was given to it by the romans because the root was said to cure the bite of a mad dog pliny says the remedy was discovered in a dream by the mother of a soldier who had been bitten by a mad dog don juan's remark in much ado about nothing i had rather be a canker in the hedge than a rose in his garden refers of course to the canker rose according to legend the crown of thorns was made from the briars of this variety of rose variegated rose rosa versicolor of shakespeare's plays is the curious bush which produces at the same time 
red roses, white roses, and roses of red mottled with white, and of a white mottled with red. The growth of the tree is stiff and erect, and the flowers have a sweet scent. The rose is often called the York and Lancashire. Parkinson says, This rose, in the form and order of the growing, is the nearest unto the ordinary damask rose both for stem, branch, leaf, and flower, the difference consisting in this, that the flower, being of the same largeness and doubleness as the damask rose, hath the one half of it sometimes of a pale whitish colour, and the other half of a paler damask colour than the ordinary. This happeneth so many times, but sometimes also the flower hath divers stripes and marks on it, one leaf white or stripped with white, and the other half blush or stripped with blush, sometimes all stripped or spotted over, and at other times little or no stripes or marks at all, as nature listeth to play with varieties in this as in other flowers. Yet this I have observed, that the longer it abideth, blown open to the sun, the paler and the fewer stripes, marks or spots will be seen in it. The smell is of a weak damask rose scent. This rose recalls the old song of a lover to his Ancastrian mistress, on handling her a white rose. If this fair rose offend thy sight, placed in thy bosom bare, twill blush to find itself less white and turn Lancastrian there. But if thy ruby lip it spy, as kiss it thou mayest deign, with envy pale, twill lose its dye on Yorkish turn again. In his play of King Henry the Sixth, which passes during the Wars of the Roses, Shakespeare introduces the noted scene in the Temple Garden, London, where the emblem of the Yorkists, a white rose, and that of the Lancastrians, a red rose, is chosen. Richard Plantagenet plucks a white rose, and the Earl of Somerset, a red rose, from the rose bushes that are still growing and blooming in the same spot, as they did when Shakespeare imagined the scene in King Henry the Sixth. In Shakespeare's day, the rose was enormously cultivated. In the gardens of Ely Place, the home of Queen Elizabeth's dashing Lord Chancellor, twenty bushels of roses were gathered annually, a good deal, for the time. About thirty species of roses, writes Edmund Goss, were known to the Elizabethan gardeners, and most of them did particularly well in London until the reign of James I, when the increasing smoke of coal fires exterminated the most lovely and most delicate species, the double yellow rose things grew rapidly worse in this respect until parkinson in despair cried out neither herb nor tree will prosper since the use of sea coal up to that time in london and afterwards in country places the rose preserved its vogue it was not usually grown for pleasure since the petals had a great commercial value there was a brisk trade in dried roses and a precious sweet water was distilled from the damask rose the red varieties of the rose were considered the best medicinally, and they produced that rose syrup which was so widely used both as a cordial and as an aperient. The fashion for keeping purpura in dwelling-rooms became so prevalent that the native gardens could not supply enough, and dried yellow roses became a recognised import from Constantinople. We must think of the parders of the ladies who saw Shakespeare's plays. They performed for the first time as a redolent with the perfume of dried, spiced, and powdered rose leaves. In Sonnet 54, Shakespeare writes, The rose looks fair, but fairer it we deem, for that sweet ardour which doth in it live. The canker blooms have full as deep a dye as the perfumed tincture of the roses. Hang on such thorns and play as wantonly when summer's breath their masked buds discloses. 
but for their virtue only is their show they live unwooed and unrespected fade die to themselves sweet roses do not so of their sweet deaths our sweetest orders made for twenty-seven centuries and more the rose has been considered queen of flowers her perfume her colour her elegance and her mystic fascination have won all hearts shakespeare says a rose by any other name would smell as sweet in one sense that is true but we would not be willing to try another title for the very word rose is a beautiful one and conjures up a particular and very special vision of sweetness and beauty thousands and thousands of poems have been written in praise of this flower ever since sappho sang to her lyre the words ho the rose ho the rose sir henry wotton wrote you violets that first appear by your pure purple mantles known like the proud virgins of the year as if the spring were all your own what are you when the roses bloom and hood sang the cowslip is a country wench the violet is a nun but i will woo the dainty rose the queen of every one and shelley and the rose like a nymph to the bath addressed which unveiled the depths of her growing breast till fold after fold to the fainting air the soul of her beauty and love laid bare shelley's fold after fold reminds us that ruskin points out that one of the rose's beauties is that her petals make shadows over and over again of their own loveliness dr forbes watson has perhaps been the most successful of all writers in putting into words the reasons why the rose has such power over mankind the flower has something almost human about it warm breathing soft as the fairest cheek of white no longer snowy like the narcissus but flushed with hues of animating pink either flower white or red being alike symbolical of glowing youthful passion in the east the rose gardens have been famed for centuries the flower is said to burst into bloom at the voice of the nightingale the poet jammy says you may place a handful of fragrant herbs of flowers before the nightingale yet he wishes not in his constant heart for more than the sweet breath of his beloved rose it is said that an arabian doctor discovered the recipe of rose water in the tenth century but the perfume may be older than that the rosa centifolia is the blossom used the indians and persians have known how to make their attar of rose for centuries a large volume would be required to chronicle the romance of the rose for it is the flower of love beauty and poetry it is dedicated to venus and venus is frequently represented as wearing a crown of roses her son eros or cupid is also wreathed and garlanded with roses cupid gave a rose to harpocrates god of silence hence the rose is also the symbol of silence under the rose a saying that expresses silence and secrecy is derived from this legend a siren holding a rose stands among the sculptured ruins of Pistum. roses and myrtle adorn the brides of greece and rome the profusion of roses used for decorations at feasts astounds us even to-day no epicure was satisfied with the cup of falernian wine unless it were perfumed with roses and the spartan soldiers at the battle of syra actually refused wine because it was not perfumed with roses this makes us wonder if those spartan mothers of whom we hear so much were really as severe as they are reputed to have been red roses were dedicated to jupiter damask roses to venus and white roses to diana or the moon the rose was given to the virgin mary as her particular flower and many italian painters as well as flemish spanish and german have painted the 
Madonna of the Rose, the Madonna of the Rose Hedge, uh, the Madonna of the Rose Bush, and the Madonna of the Rose Garden. The rosary introduced by St. Dominic in commemoration of his having been shown a chaplet of roses by the Virgin originally consisted of rose leaves pressed into balls. End of Sweet Summer Buds